You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Rainstop Play. Thank you very much for joining us. Exciting episode ahead. Uh, in part one, we're going to chat about uh, the Ben Stokes retirement. We know that news is slightly old now, but this is our first reaction on it. As well as have a slightly wider chat about where 50 over cricket sits in, in cricket now. Um, should it still be a thing? We'll, we'll have that debate uh, at the end of part one. And then we'll head to part two. Uh, we're joined uh, by a very special guest, Paul, who's at Slog Sweeping on Twitter to chat about the Blast Finals Day as well as some fantasy cricket. Um, so really exciting episode coming up. Loads to talk about. Really wide spreading cricket chat, I think, uh, for the next hour or so. Uh, so thank you for joining us. I am joined uh, this week by Zach and Glenn. Uh, Zach, start with you. You looked at me as I said your name. How are you? What's going on? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, not too, not too much to be honest. Nothing to report. That's fine. We'll move, we'll move swiftly on to Glenn. Have you got anything to report, Glenn? How are things? Uh, scored my first point in Ultimate Frisbee uh, last night. Oh, I was really buzzing. To be fair, I was really glad. It's taken me half the point the if you catch or if you throw. Like it was, is the throw the assist? I I guess. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's if you catch it. I got an assist as well. I was kind of in the end zone and it got absolutely pinged at me and it just like brushed my fingertips. I was nowhere near catching it and a teammate caught it behind me, which was quite funny. So I, okay, I was, click on. Exactly. Sorry, I forgot we do sporting exploits. Quickly, two ducks Please, in a row boy. on Saturdays. Two oh. ducks in a row on Saturdays. Both by one was by a 14-year-old girl. The other was by 16-year-old boy. In between, I did hit 41 from 19 balls in a T20. So I'm just going to give up on the weekend stuff. That was against famine. an 8-year-old boy. Zach <laughs> <laughs> exclusively plays against minors, I think. is how it is, isn't it? A feast or famine, then, yeah. Because uh, I, I, I wondered when you said not much to report, I was like, oh, he's had a quiet time with the cricket, but you know, 41's a good number. 41's a good number. Uh, that's our sporting, sporting exploits for the week. Um, okay, boys, let's get straight into it then. So first 25 minutes or so, we're going to chat about Ben Stokes and one-day cricket and just the general vibe around uh, one-day cricket at the minute, which I think is a bit off. I'm looking forward to this chat. We'll start with the Ben Stokes retirement. Can't remember what that was now, to be honest, a while ago, but our first reaction on it. And I'll come to you first, Zach. I'm interested to hear what you've got to say about this. And... I'm not even going to ask you boys whether it was a surprise or not, because I think it was a surprise to absolutely everybody. Um, very hush-hush. There wasn't any, like, with Morgan's retirement, oh, we expect this to happen tomorrow sort of thing. There was just sort of the announcement that, uh, that Ben Stokes is retiring from one-day international cricket. Sounds like he made the decision after the Lords one-day international, after thinking about it himself and chatting to Stuart Broad, I think I read. Um, so I don't think any of us, I think all of us were surprised. But, Zach, what do you think it, do you think it's a good decision? I think it's the question I want to hear you answer. What's your opinion on that, on Stokes sort of uh, bowing out of the uh, the one-day format? So it certainly came as a surprise. I wasn't expecting it. You know, lots of Twitters went mad with it, obviously. And, like, and a lot of the time, these things do get leaked, don't they? And the fact he decided mm. after the Lord's game and then it didn't get leaked for, you know, I don't know, five or six days is, is huge because... In cricket, things just get leaked, and so it's so easily. Like, well, uh, you know, I think it's it's. It, I think it's at some point. Sometimes it's worse than politics in that way. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, it was definitely a surprise. I think it was something I said when he was fav- when he was kind of going to be test captain. That was yeah. basically, you know, when that was leaked. I said that I think because of his mental health struggles and fitness struggles, I said it could easily be the end of him in other formats. And I'm, I, I don't want to be right about this, but so far I have to take have it, mate. Right take, we this. take little wins on Rainstop yeah. play like that. We take little wins. But yeah, it's, it's a big shame. I think it, it potentially is his best format. He's a brilliant ODI batter and it leaves a big hole for England because that's two that's two left-handed batters we've lost. Two left-handed middle-order batters we've lost a year out from a World Cup. And Stokes' overs are, are so important. They can't be replicated and they certainly can't be replicated when Sam Curran plays terribly. Mm, and we'll come on to that perhaps later. And it's an interesting point you make about that is his best format because... When you said that initially, I was like, is it really? I can't. I was kind of like, I can I can live without Stokes in the one-day team. And then you look at his stats, and you obviously remember what he did. I mean, look at his stats first. Batting average of around 40, I think, and a bowling average very similar. But again, they're very useful overs. Um, and I, I was like, oh, yeah, he is quite good at this. Isn't it interesting how he's chosen this format? And that will come on to our discussion later. But Glenn, um, again, I'm guessing you were surprised. But, but do you think it's the right decision for him to move on from this and were you surprised he picked the 50 over format? And does that not does that not show you where the 50 over format sits in players' minds at the minute? Yeah, yeah, it's sad, but you, you, I just can't argue with that. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the test team, he's just come in, he's the new captain. It's great to see that he's taking te- the test captaincy so seriously, that he's putting um, so much emphasis on that. He said in an interview, you know, he, he spoke to Stuart Broad, who had said, listen, I want to play test cricket as long as I can. And because of that, I had to step back a little bit from my white, white ball commitments. I mean, yeah, Stokes is the kind of player who, as we all know, is the cliche, but he gives 110% every game. And he's he effectively said, listen, if I can't, bowl if I'm not available to bowl my full set of 10 overs if my body isn't gonna isn't gonna last then I've got to basically prioritize I love that he did also have a very uh, warranted pop at administrators for piling up these fixtures and treat and treating cricketers like cars it's good that he gets he's he feels like he has the freedom to say that by the way it's important that it's coming from him where he sits in, in English cricket at the minute right I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, the, the fact that the test captain, well, effectively the most important role really in English cricket, maybe apart from Rockies or whatever, um, yeah, is saying, you know, the fixtures are a mess and we're being treated, um, you know, like disposable, like, you, know, you know, toys or vehicles or whatever else. Like, yeah, the fixture pileup is is absolutely ridiculous. Unfortunately, it's forcing players to kind of prioritize in a way. We know Stokes won't be the won't be the last. I'm sure maybe some other bowlers might be um, thinking about their body. Well, they want to play test cricket. Cricket. They don't want to miss out on 20, 2020s, especially the franchise money. And obviously you're looking at Stokes and that comes into the play, right? The money's in T20. Um, so you're going to go there. Um, and then the test stuff is, you know, that's his almost basically his full time job at this point. And that's what he's focusing on. I think his reasoning was right. And he knows his body more than every more than anyone. And I don't think he should feel the pressure to have to break himself to do it across all three formats. But as you said, Dan, it is interesting. Obviously, it won't be test. So it does come down to will he will he remain in ODIs or T20s? And yeah, you know, as you just kind of touched on. The glitz and glamour and monies are increasingly in the white ball game in T20s, not ODIs. That does put one day cricket in a really difficult position. And you've seen it be devalued um, so obnoxiously by the ECB in England by relegating the Royal London One Day Cup to almost a secondary competition full of younger players. I mean, I saw one. It was the last game of cricket I've seen in the last year. I saw um, Somerset Derby um, this time last year, and it was fantastic. You know, we saw some younger players, who a lot, many of whom have come in to play good quality cricket for the Somerset team. You sure you did see a great balance of players and we had a lovely day out. So I still think that is value to the one day game, but not the way that is currently um, scheduled with fixtures and cricketers are unfortunately being made, being effectively coerced into making a choice for the benefit of their body and probably mental health too. So it's, it's a mess. We sort of saw the start of the mess this year, didn't we? And it, it struck me by surprise as someone who doesn't study the schedule that, uh, vigorously that all of a sudden we have that Netherlands one day series in the middle of or between test series so we only took we took out a team that didn't have the test players in and that sort of started this and then you look at the next block of I think five years up to 2027 including all these series and ICC events and uh franchises that are taking place and it is a very very congested calendar um Zach do you think the same what, what are your feelings that, that Stokes chose 50 over game and how do you think that 
does that relegate the 50 over game internationally now as well? That's the one that people are deciding to leave in some cases. I think it's not that surprising that it's the one people are deciding to leave for exactly kind of why Glenn said. I don't think there's so much talk about test cricket dying that I don't, I don't, it, it might die in smaller nations, but like the big three, particularly, I mean, the big three will keep playing it. In England, test matches sell out every single time. Every day of a test match is sold out. So why the hell would we stop having five tests a summer? We, we won't, basically. And Australia as well, they've got massive stadiums, so it doesn't always sell out, but it still does pretty well. You know, they get every year on Boxing Day, they get 90,000 people going to the MCG. So they're not going to stop playing test cricket. ODIs, on the other hand, in England, say so, you know it's probably the same. It's the same thing. To be fair, it, it will sell out, and, and ODIs, ODIs will sell out most of the time. Like the ODI, there's an ODI at Headingley in a couple of days' time. I tried to get tickets maybe four months ago now, and, and it was sold out. So I, it's difficult though because it, I think it is kind of being relegated. But we've already had the ICC's um, future competition schedule until 2031 so it's it's here to stay at least till then because we've got we've got two world cups well three world cups actually 2023 2027 and then 2031 we've also got champions trophies mate don't start me on that. the champions trophy do not start me on you, you probably heard me rant if you're a long time mister about the royal london one day cup which which i think glenn's glenn's point he made last year has rightfully come true that it has relegated the form but the idea of the champions trophy in itself is just delusional um and I, I kind of want to, uh, I kind of want to talk about England a little bit, and also carry on this this tangent I'm on. Let's do, let's do like the results, not the results, but like the the vibe around the game since we were last on. So since we were last on uh, a week and a bit ago, England won one, uh, won the middle ODI against India, lost the third ODI, and then just lost to South Africa. The South Africa game, especially Glenn, I don't know how much I think you said you caught the chase. And I think it was because of the fact it was like an oven there. But just the vibe there was awful. Like no one, no one felt like they wanted to be there. It felt like a bit of a fever dream that this game was even taking place. Not because of the weather, just like, like an ODI against South Africa. South Africa suddenly rocked up in this country and we're playing one day cricket against them. There's no context to it. Um, it just had this horrible vibe, and I think that, but for the India fans being so vociferous and England versus India being an event in itself, those two, those three games sort of avoided that feeling. But it was there was something there, in my opinion. Did you feel that? Just like what? What? I think I was looking around, going, "What's going on there? Why? What are we doing? What's happening?" Yeah, I think it was the old school strategy. Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach. I imagine you'll know this, but I think a lot of touring teams, you know, a couple of years ago, would usually play a, a kind of limited series to warm up for the tests. And I almost prefer that. What I don't like, Dan, is when you have a really epic kind of three match, four match, five match test series, and then tacked on at the end after the Ashes. Who wants to watch an ODI or a T20? After, <laughs> usually after we've just lost. But period. Like you know, I, I don't mind that actually the idea of you kind of have you know, t20 is not quite the same it's it's you know it's really harder to make that transition but you know odi cricket i really don't mind that as a lot of a test team getting used to conditions playing because you know when they play these shorter kind of warm-up test games they're always a mess anyway they're always you know, you know we saw that with uh, with india effectively with weather or whatever else so i didn't mind the kind of context if you will but i do think the weather was uh, it was a major factor i think it was almost dangerous at some points at least some of the players i think Potts might have been one of the players um to, who was really really struggling in the heat i think that kind of killed the atmosphere because instead of beer i really hope i'm sure a lot of people did both or just beer but i really hope that there was obviously much more like hydration i, mean, I was watching it and i was like it if i was tough, there didn't it? it looked tough yeah it looked it looked really hard work so i think it's, it's probably not discounting the weather because they really changed the game um but then also you know South Africa piled on the runs, their highest ODI score in England, as far as I'm aware. Van der Dusten came through with a really elegant and a really a really well-timed innings. He really knew when to kick on. And what what I found really curious about the England limited kind of white ball team, limited overs team, since Morgan's moved on, it, it feels like a complete fundamental crisis of confidence. I mean, the bowlers, I mean, Craig Overton's popping up. I mean, you know, casted well, but it's just like... <laughs> it's all a bit random, got, isn't it, with those It's bowlers, all a bit, yeah, actually. But, Pots might feel a bit random as well. It feels like a yeah. bit of a kind of test B team bowling attack. And then, <laughs> but then our batters who you look at the lineup, I mean, Sam Curran, who can, 
who can win a game in the blast in a heartbeat. Don't, he, he has it in him. Is coming in at like number seven or eight. You look down that batting lineup and there's quality everywhere. But once again, like the test team pre-Basball, it was Joe Root who was the only one who seemed to be able to hit it straight. I mean, Roy has looked just completely bereft of form recently. He's looked a bit of a shell of himself. I mean, 43 off 62 was tragic. It was our lowest ever. It was our lowest ever, at least I think since 2017, 2019 power play score. I think we just don't look confident with the bat. We've lost our mojo with the bat. We have some of the most destructive players in world cricket. You know, Stokes, obviously, not anymore, but as of that game, Stokes, Butler, Livingston, Ali, Bairstow, Roy, any of them can hit a 30-ball 50 in a heartbeat. No one really fancied doing it. And when it got to the middle order, just no one, you know, you know, the run rate had gone up and it was just, it was a really poorly timed chase, which I think, I genuinely think had Morgan still been in charge, I think we would have just started our usual confident selves yeah. and would have felt better about knocking off the runs. I tend to agree. And it, I, I think he's left a bigger power vacuum than we all thought he would. Um, oh, yeah. Just because we just because he's cause, because Butler's been around the team for ages doesn't mean he can't just pick up where Morgan left off. But not only that, the bats just seem like they don't really know what they're doing. Like there's no real clear goal like there is in the test team. And isn't it weird how we talk about it this way around now just after six months? But um like, yeah, they don't, they're they not coming out with that fearlessness. There's a bit of edginess about them. There's no clear idea. I think that batting lineup is, isn't very well balanced. I think it's just full of big hitters. Um, you do have a couple of lads looking well out of nick at the minute. Like Livingston looks like he's trying to hit the ball out of whatever county he's playing in at the time. Roy is looking in bad nick. The bowling attack has no coherence to it, although it's steady. And it's a bit strange, isn't it? And I, but I think we can give the team the benefit of the doubt for the time being as, as things start to work out a little bit if we come on back over to 50 over cricket and its existence for a minute and i'm loving this chat as, as suddenly existed because i was all for getting rid of the one day cup because i just didn't get it um no matter how many lovely days glenn has out has out of taunton i, I, <laughs> I won't um but i saw and i, I think it was I think this was Ravi Shastri. It might have been Wazim Akram. There's been some content on uh, on the Telegraph with those two over this last week, and they were just saying the fun like fundamentally the 50 over game is a little bit either boring or very predictable. You've got the first 10 overs where something happens, and then you've got the middle 30 where all the batting team is trying to do is uh, knock it around for singles and find a boundary and over or every other over, and then you get the last 10 where they pile on a few more and they get somewhere between 275 and 350 and see if the, the chasing team could do it again. Uh, and where bat it, where bowling is like pretty irrelevant at that point. Um, and that feels I, I, I'm sat watching the middle overs of one day game and I'm bored. I am bored. Am I just being miserable, boys? Can or can one of you fight for this format? Because the format itself feels a little bit dated to me, and it having these bilateral series feels pretty dated. And a suggestion I saw, and this was from Ravi Shastri, was get rid of these bilateral series that nobody really cares about. Have have your World Cups and your Champions Trophies, and this is where the international teams come together and play at these marquee events. Um, and have your T20 franchise leagues. And that's where people play T20 cricket. And again, the countries meet to play at these major events. Um, lots of thoughts flying around there, Glenn. Either defend 50 overs or what do we think about these bilateral series taking place? Well, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's some interesting points have come up recently. I don't really see the point in having a marquee event, i.e. a World Cup, if people aren't playing the format prior to. It's just exhibition cricket then. It's ridiculous. I think that's a stupid idea to start off with. What I what I don't mind, kind of touching back on what I said earlier, you know, integrating the series, integrating some ODI cricket more coherently within a touring team, within a test, for example. So, OK, we have, a, we have you know, three tests in in august so you know the last week of july we're going to play three one day one one day games and you know a lot of the test team will be in there yeah there's you know certain nuances it does get very tricky when you have very different like kind of white ball teams and red ball teams so i do appreciate that so that that's a little thing to work with but i think maybe integrating it more smoothly there would make sense as opposed to a complete standalone random series like i, I do appreciate there's some trepidation there but i do think there is also something to be said for a full days cricket that isn't test and it isn't over in three hours or two hours if it's the hundred there is something really good to be said for 11 till about five six you know whenever you're there i get i appreciate these are long days i appreciate the middle overs can be a little bit duller and maybe it's the kind of format that does seem to maybe work better when you're there in person as opposed to watching it on tv but you know i watched 
uh, not even kidding, nearly every game, as much as I could watch of the 2019 ODI World Cup, and I enjoyed the vast majority of them. The only ones that weren't fun were watching teams like West Indies just completely collapse and not play good cricket. I was not bored then. And yeah, I agree, Dan, that watching a slightly random England-South Africa series doesn't fill me with a huge amount of enthusiasm, but I still enjoyed watching the run chase, especially like although it fell apart a little bit. So I, I think... Just being a little bit smarter about how the how you know the schedule works. I think it, a lot of it comes down to scheduling. I don't think the format's dead, but I do think it, people need to utilize it in a much more clever, savvy way. That's a good answer. I like that, and and it all feels like every chat we have about this, you know, ever since we started this podcast, whether it's it's a malaise in any format, is that the schedule is too deep. Now, Zach, South Africa have pulled out of a white ball tour of Australia at the, at the top of next year. Um, so that they can start their own franchise league and they and they want their South African players to be playing in that, which is really a really, really interesting move, isn't it? The fact that that's happened is sort of a signal to this. Uh, what are your thoughts on scheduling, if we want to get into that, and, and generally how these bilateral series need to interact with wider tours and the, the fact that for all these governing bodies, their bread and butter now is their home franchising. That's where their money's coming from. That's where a lot of their bringing bring a lot of players up. So that now has the priority. So how do you think we're going to be able to interact with these all these formats and all these leagues more efficiently? So interestingly, the the kind of like murmurings from the futures tour future tours program comes out I don't know, every now and again. But the one for 2023 to 2027, bits of it have come out right. in the last in the last couple of weeks. One part of it is the IPL is getting an even bigger window. It's going to be basically no international cricket during the IPL, which is a surprise to absolutely no one. There's also going to be, so in the South Africa T20 League, every team is owned by an IPL team or by the owners of an IPL team, which is interesting. That's come out in the last few days. As well as that, there is going to be a gap in the English summer, in the English international summer for the 100. Yeah. I don't know if it's just white ball gap. I think, I think it's all cricket gap. But in and in Australia's winter, there's going to be a white ball gap for the BBL, a little bit of a gap anyway, because the BBL just goes on far too long anyway. So no one can keep up with the whole thing. Not even me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so how they fit in, it's difficult because obviously South Africa are actually potentially not going to qualify directly for the World Cup next year because they're cancelling these. That's why APIs. it was so fascinating. They're well outside the top. Is, is it six? Or eight, and they're eleven. Uh, eight, the eight, yeah. And they're well outside that, and they go, they're they're sacrificing that now. And does that not just show you the the the, the attitude toward this format? Also, I I think they're dark horses for the whole World Cup, and they yeah, might even right, qualify. Right, they so they're dark horses first, for the whole thing. The darkest of horses, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so dark they're not qualified, yeah. <laughs> It is bizarre and it is. It feels like a scheduling thing, isn't it? And it's almost like one format of cricket has to go. And at the minute, the one no one's really interested in is 50 over cricket, right? Yeah. On going, sorry, going back onto what what you said about Ravi Shastri. I, the, my problem with it is 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 completely the same with Glenn. They need to be playing ODI cricket, and we don't have franchise ODI cricket. So I, I don't know. I, I think we kind of need to have some bilateral ODI cricket. But I can understand reducing the amount of bilateral T20 cricket, although boards aren't going to like that because they make a lot of money from that. You know, obviously, a lot of certain boards don't, but like, so, so like a lot of the boards outside the top three don't make any money from Test cricket. They only make money from T20s. They're either their league or, or T20Is. But I can understand the point of not having as many T20s. I mean. England are going to Pakistan for seven T20Is in in September or whatever it is. One would be fine. I understand yeah. we owe Pakistan. So in this in this case, I'll allow it because we we messed them around last year. We've not toured Pakistan yet. Fine. In general, one or two at a push is fine. We never need five. We don't even really need three, probably. And that's it, isn't it? There's so much T20 cricket played anyway. We don't need these international series popped on top. Do you think there, and I posed this earlier, that I think I think you're both right in that we can't take away bilateral one-day series and still have a World Cup. Do you think, either of you, there's a place for removing T20 bilateral series and having everyone play their T20 leagues around the world where players mesh and, and play anyway and then having your showpiece international T20 cricket exclusively being a World Cup so every two years? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, to an extent, but at the same time, kind of imagine what Zach might have been about to say. Like, you still need to have a team as opposed to 11 individuals who play franchise cricket in different corners of the world. Like, I, I love what Zach's saying. I think, yes, yeah, slim it down, but you still need to, like, practice and play competitive T20 as an international team. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of random individuals who might have played together three years ago. Like, that's a worry as well. Let's do three match white ball series, never mm-hmm. more. Either one yeah. ODI and two t- T20Is or the other oh, way around. I see. And, and, why, and why not make that like the women do the ashes or even I think it's happening now and, and make that a points thing and that's how you win that series. Very good. Mm. And also, like you said, Glenn, I think the old, the sort of rhythm of a tour would be white ball warming up for the red ball. Why not let's have that with, with, with the way Test cricket is at the minute. It feels mentally or, or culturally as if it's more significant. Have that at the end, have a white ball series before. Definitely some tweaking that can be done, um, but it's a fascinating conversation that I was really interested to be brought up by Ben Stokes retiring, and now we're here, and uh, we've not even mentioned we we had a very brief mention of the of the actual cricket team. We've got two ODIs left. I don't know. I I can't really briefly, boys. I want to see Milan in desperately. I think a nicer rhythm to this batting lineup, at least on paper for me, is Roy Bairstow. Milan root root Milan don't care, and then bring in your Butler Livingston Moeen. It feels like. Butler coming in at five and four and then Livingston at five, just chucking it, even though there's still 30 overs left, feels a bit wrong. I don't know what you think, because we're going to have to see some two big replacements come in at some point. I think I think we need to be flexible. We want Josh Butler to face about half the balls in the innings, basically. So right. uh, wicket happens after 25 overs, Josh Butler comes in. Fair. I think that's a fair way of doing it. Anyone, yeah. Any names you want to chuck around coming into the team? Are we happy with his current batting lineup? Uh, James Vince and make him captain. Nice. Yes. <laughs> waiting for that. Just waiting for that. Best captain in England. Uh, he's going to do a better job than Josh, who couldn't motivate a bunch of people in a bar to have a beer together. Honestly, so. he's a see, like, I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but he's just a bit sad looking, isn't he? <laughs> Zach's shaking his head, I think probably at my comment as opposed to Josh's captaincy. But I mean... I don't know, and it's pure speculation, I am not convinced if Morgan had another couple of months in him that, that Ben, I think Ben probably, but maybe this is the point, right, would have probably made, waited to retire then. But I feel like Morgan has the motivation and he has the kind of, yeah. he has the kind of camaraderie and charisma. I, I think Butler's lacking it. I love him. One of my favorite players ever. Don't get me wrong. Love him as a person, love him as a player. World beater. I, I don't think he's a particularly, I don't have much hope for his captaincy. It's just a bit lifeless. It's a bit yeah. flat. It's been a very lifeless start as well, hasn't it? Um, but he's got these two ODIs coming up against South Africa to to maybe G the team up a little bit. Really, really, really briefly. I know I'm kind of coming back to another point here, but could isn't it disappointing that although it's disappointing, and I, I back Stokes' decision all the way because he knows when he's when he's cooked uh, that he couldn't make it to the World Cup in India and then call it because like or or maybe can we even just call him back for that World Cup? He's that important. And I feel like he could meld into a team that nicely. That 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 was sort of like. It happens so suddenly. There's these big milestones that you could wait for, but isn't it just interesting that you had to do it now? And, and I think we all back that. Uh, but that will about wrap it up for part one. Um, very interesting chat. Enjoyed that. Any thoughts or feelings on this? Do tweet us at rainstoppod. Uh, love to hear what you got to say. Um, I've got a dash for part two, unfortunately, boys. So it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Uh, but I'll leave you two in charge. We've got a very special guest, Paul uh, at Slog Sweeping on Twitter, who's joining us to, to chat about the T20 Finals Day, which happened uh, the chaotic end of the T20 Finals Day, as well as some fantasy cricket. Uh, welcome back to Rainstop Play. Uh, in part two, Zach and I are joined by Paul, also known as Slog Sweeping on Twitter, who remarkably finished second overall in the Cricket Draft Blast fantasy game. Congrats, Paul. Cannot wait to talk about it a little bit later. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, it was a good campaign. Uh, I'm not going to claim it was all skill, um, but I'm sure we'll get into the ins and outs of it as we go on. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I cannot wait to chat some uh, chat some uh, draft stuff. We've we've loved it. We um, chatted with the co-founder John Welch a couple of weeks ago on the pod. So to talk to one of the highest ranked players in the entire game is also a lovely end to that kind of a segment. Um, so we'll be getting onto that stuff in just a minute. But before we do dive into the kind of fantasy side of things, Zach, I'm going to task you with reminding us about what happened on what was a really thrilling finals day. So for people who either didn't catch it or you know it's been it's been the best part of a week um since it happened somehow um what happened in the semis and the final was extraordinary uh let us know what happened on that kind of final over it was it was mayhem it was mayhem it was and, and for once i was thankful that my cricket match finished obscenely early because we got rolled for 45 and then uh bowled out so sorry not bowled out we they obviously chased it down so the first semi-final was a roses game i think it was the First, it was the first ever time they played each other in, in on a, on a finals day. Yeah, pretty. It's a huge game. Any time they'd already played out two brilliant games earlier on in the competition, so it was set up to be a really good one. Uh, Yorkshire won the toss, batted first, looked really. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Kern because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, (laughs) I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Really good. Started well, 66 for one off of the power play, and they ended up with 204, which looked like a, you know, in a final or a semi-final, whatever. It looked like an unassailable, unassailable target, including a big 66, I think it was, from Tom Kohler Cadmore and an 18-ball 50 from Jordan Thompson that was absolutely brilliant. It could have been even more, though, because Danny Lamb actually had a brilliant final over where he took two wickets and only went for six runs. And it kind of felt like the momentum dropped a little bit then, but it still was like, oh, they've still got 200. Unlikely to chase us down. Lanks, you know, just made it look so easy, though. They met, they just chased it down so comfortably and they were 89 for two after the power play. And they ended up doing it with 80, with eight, eight balls to spare. I think Phil Salt was 36 from 15 balls, you know, just right at the start of the innings, which just really gave them the momentum. Dane Villas ended up getting 63 not out from 36, a proper, you know, captain's knock in a semi-final. So Lanks made it comfortably. I think Yorkshire's bowling kind of let them down a bit. They Their bowling hasn't been great throughout the tournament, so kind of expected that much more from them. And then in the second semi-final, we had uh, mine and Glenn's Love's Somerset, of course, uh, Hampshire decided to bat first, and which is what they've kind of wanted to do throughout the toss. It's also what Somerset, what Somerset liked chasing, so it kind of suited both sides. Uh, Hampshire ended up getting 190, which the commentators thought it was a little bit short because they could have got more, but it, it still seemed like quite a few runs. I had some confidence, but yeah, it did see, well, it's quite a few runs still. Tom Press got 64, the England 19s captain, top scoring with that, so brilliant for him. Somerset in their innings never really got going. It was just wickets kept falling. When Russo was out, it felt like, oh, that's it. You know, he, he hit kind mm-hmm. of, I think, one big blow the ball before or something, or at least a, an over before or whatever. He hit a massive six into the stands, and it was brilliant. And it was like, oh, okay, but this is the big wicket. And yeah, they got him pretty cheaply. And then, yeah, never never really got going. Always felt like the, we let the rate get ahead of us. And, yeah. That's that's how it felt from my perspective. And, you know, Paul, we'll come to you in a second just to get your view on the, how the semis played out. But, um, yeah, as a Somerset fan, it just felt like we, we just weren't, as you said, up with the rate. We felt a bit sluggish uh, and a bit lethargic. And I think 
the thing is with with Somerset, right? That top three, that top, you know, Banton, Smead, Rousseau. I mean, if one of those comes off, they're a game changer. You know, we've seen Rousseau do it time and time again in the blast. The amount of 50s he got was outrageous, and what a signing he's been. But you know, Smead and Banton, you're looking at them doing it for the Lions. I mean, you're looking at Smead score runs for fun against a very good South African attack. So if one of them had just made some runs in quick fire time, you know, a quick 50, a quick 60, we would have been on our way. But I think the problem was, as you said, Zach. It was left to the middle order. And by the time the middle order came in, the rate was just creeping up. And that's not to say, you know, let's not ignore the fact that Hampshire bowled really tightly. They're a really difficult team uh, to score quickly against. They got a lot of good spinners. They got a really good tight bowling lineup. And they were just, when it was said and done, Tom Abel said it after the game. You know, we Somerset were poor pretty much in all facets for our high standards. And Hampshire would deserve winners. Um, Paul, just looking back, thinking about the... Um, the semi-finals anything that stood out to you from either games I mean the runs in the first game was amazing and I guess it was just disappointing from our perspective that Somerset couldn't show the form that we had in the quarters because we scored so many runs against Derby we just we just couldn't pick up that momentum I mean yeah I'm, I'm not going to talk fancy too much yet but I did go four Hans four Lancashire players so it went pretty well for me in the semi-finals but the main takeaway from the actual cricket side for me is just how important the power play is in a chase. You look at you you're both chasing big scores. Lancashire come out, they get ahead of they get ahead of the run rate straight away, and the rest of the chase just follows. It it you don't have to take the risks that Somerset had to take, whereas you look at the way you went about things, you are one or two wickets away from being out of the game and it and it happened. And like you're right, Hampshire have a great bowling attack. And that's why you really are relying on Smead, Banton and Rousseau to sort of get you 60-70 from that power play. So that when the likes of Abel come in and Lamaby and the, the the sort of they're not big six hitters, but they they can manipulate a field so well. But when they're chasing 12, 13 and over, it just becomes so difficult for them sorts of players. Absolutely, and I was actually reminded of that in the uh, in the recent ODI. Of course, uh, you know England against South Africa, the men's side falling behind early. You know, starting the ODI slowly, and you could see the run rate creep up. And the middle order had too much to do. You had Moeen, Livingston, everyone else. So that was really difficult. So I completely agree. And Phil Salt, I think, showed the value of a really quick start in the other semi. So I think you're spot on there. Um, Zach, talk us through. Okay, so we come to the final. It's Hampshire, Lancashire. It's a pretty tasty uh, kind of tasty fixture on paper, um, and it it was one of the most thrilling conclusions I can recall to any tournament uh, in recent history. I mean, yeah, how did it play out? So, Hans batted first, as you'd have kind of expected them to. They made 152, which didn't feel like it was going to be enough at any point, to be honest. It, it felt like they were short. Brilliant knock from McDermott, 62 from 35, which in amongst a score of 150 is, is even better than it looks, you know, on its own. It's an absolutely brilliant knock considering everyone else really struggled. It's kind of a theme on finals day. The pitches kind of get slower because, you know, we're playing we're playing at the same ground. It kind of also gets slower throughout the day. And But they still felt like with Lanx's batting lineup, 152 didn't seem like enough. And at the halfway stage in Lanx innings, it, didn't, it still didn't seem like it was enough. Lanx were 85 for three, needing 6.8 and over from that point. You know, comfortable. Just knock it around, singles, twos. Just keep up with the rate because, you know, if you, if it's seven and over going into the last three, like there's only one winner there. But Lanks didn't manage to do that through some brilliant overs from Liam Dawson. Mason Crane, who really hasn't had a very good tournament, was pretty good in this. Just kind of shut him down, kept him to kept him to kind of sixes, sevens, you know, a few mm-hmm. below that. Uh, and then and then Fuller and Ellis bowled two brilliant overs. I think it was 16 and 17 that only went for five runs in total across those two overs and then they suddenly needed 10 and over from the last three and it was like oh okay and there were five down so it was like oh you know it was you'd still probably back the team chasing depending on who's batting but it was kind of relatively new batters at that point neither looked very comfortable and yeah Lanks just just they balls it up basically (laughs) to put simply and the final over was was so eventful. So so Lanks needed Lanks needed did they need eleven? I think they needed eleven or maybe twelve going into that final over. And they didn't didn't look like they were gonna get it. And then they bowled so the last ball was so when the last so in the blast, worth noting, they don't do super overs, they do either wickets 
or after wickets, it's power play score, which is just so stupid. And obviously, Terrible. none of this, the crowd didn't know any of this at the time, apparently, <laughs> of as course well, not. <laughs> which, is, which is classic. So it goes down to the last ball. Blanks need five to win, but because they've they've got a better power play score, not better wickets at this point, the wickets were the same, they needed four to win. So uh, Ellis comes into bowl, Gleason clean bowled, Beautiful ball. Everyone's wheeling away, celebrating. Fireworks go off. Pyro's going. Pyro's going. Everything's going. And then we pull over. The camera pulls over to the umpire and he's doing the old no ball sign. And it is just head in hands moment for even me as a Somerset fan. I didn't want Hampshire to win because they'd beaten Somerset, you know, classic bit of bitterness there. But it was just brilliant drama. And it was like, suddenly they only need two to win. Well, they need three to win, but they only need two because of this thing. So it's like two to win a form ball. Um, and it's worth saying that Vince had to check this with the umpire as well. He was talking after the game. Yeah. He had to check with the umpire and then tell his bowler. Like, it was chaos. No one really was 100% sure what the rules were. No one knew. And, and uh, the most annoying thing for me is Gleeson goes for basically the same shot. He tries to hit the seam off the ball when he could probably just plink it and get two, maybe. And so he doesn't he doesn't hit it at all. Ben McDermott takes the stumps out of the ground. It's all over. But then it's kind of, there's been some controversy around that as well, because they'd run the one. So we're both in when Ben McDermott takes the stumps out of the ground. And then they ran another one. So they kind of ran the two. I don't know where we all fall on this. I don't know. They clearly weren't going to get the two. Umpires called time on it. Hampshire won. But... I can understand why there's controversy there. If it was if it was the other way around, well, not the other way around, if it was Somerset instead of Lanks, I, I would be a bit annoyed, of course. Yeah, the drama was there, wasn't it? And I mean, I, I just don't know why you wouldn't do a super over, really, because it's a lot of fun. And, you know, if it's obvious, you know, most boundaries, whatever, but, you know, when it's like something as niche as highest power play score, and there's a million different factors that can affect that. You can play better across the game and have the lower power play score. Doesn't mean you've had necessarily had a better game. Um, yeah, that's an odd one. Paul, what were you thinking watching the game? Uh, how did you think about how the final unfolded? Did you kind of fall into either camp about the way, obviously, Hampshire did end up kind of clinching it? I think Hampshire won it rather than Lancashire lost it. I do think that, um, mainly because of the leadership. I mean, I'm a big James Vince fan. Um, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of him getting in that England team, but as a captain for Hampshire, he's very good. Um, I mean, he won the 100 last year. Now current champions could be winning the county championship as well. Um, hopefully not. But um, the, the fact that they were behind the game the whole time, they probably were second favourites throughout until that 16th, 17th over where they held up to five runs or whatever. Um, but they didn't panic at any point. They There wasn't a sense of, oh, we need to get wickets now. Let's swap, let's swap it out. Let's get our best bowlers in early to try and break partnerships. They just stuck to what they did. And then when the momentum changed a little bit, they attacked. Um, it was it was really interesting. I wasn't too fussed about who won. And that by that point, my fantasy team was not winning anyway. So I was just there for the drama and as always finals day blast it will provide drama um, it was just a great spectacle and a great advert for the sport and the competition itself absolutely and you know we'll go into the into the weeds on this but it's been quite clear that the ecb has not really wanted to give the blast the time of the day and i just love that finals day as you just said paul lives up to the hype you know we've got we've got record run chases we've got Arguably the favourites, at least based on the quarters. I won't say Somerset were fully favourites, but based on the performance in the quarters, Somerset with momentum, we've got them crashing out in the semi. And then you've got like ridiculous final ball drama uh, with the classic. It can't be cricket without someone looking at a rule book and wondering what's going on. It just it just wouldn't be cricket otherwise. And just on James Vince, um, it's interesting. You said, you know, it's captaincy. I couldn't agree more. It's also worth noting, and I think he's probably based on a few of these things, my player of the tournament, I think. He did score the most runs uh, um, across the entire tournament, which I think is incredible, and did have the highest individual score. So he really did just show his quality with the bat and his just genius with the captaincy. Like, you know, Ellis was saying that how much he was just calming everyone down after that no ball was called. Vince managed to uh, kind of calm everyone. It's interesting, Zach, you mentioned the Gleason, uh, Gleason shot. 
Yes, I think it was the wrong thing to do, but wasn't that a fine, slower ball under pressure to to have the uh, to back yourself and have the quality to do that? And for Vince to be like, yeah, you back yourself. I'll back you. You pick a delivery that you think is going to, you know, keep them to one run. It was fantastic. Um, and yeah, kind of guess just like, you know, segueing over to fantasy. because I'm, I'm so excited to talk about it, Paul. So at the start of the just bring us back to the start of finals day. Where kind of were you in the table? Were you already? You, obviously, you must have been quite, quite high. And who did you really need to perform for you to potentially clinch that top spot? Overall, it's worth reiterating. There's thousands of players and, you know, you're, the top two is, is really is really ridiculous. Like how was how did the day need to fall for you to really triumph? So I think I was third or fourth. I can't remember. But I was a, a big way off top spot going into finals day. And um, the quarterfinals couldn't have gone much worse for me. So I, um, I'm, a, I'm a Surrey fan. Um, I had... A lot of sorry players. I had what were the other? Essex. Yeah, Narine. I had Essex and Surrey were just sort of the two I needed to get through for me to have a team. Um, and I ended up with the two Somerset boys, Smeed and Rousseau, um, who I had throughout the whole tournament, which is probably one of the reasons I was at the top in the first place, having Rousseau from early on. Um, and I had David Willey. So I had three players who got through. And one of them wasn't even playing on finals day. Uh, so I had some tinkering to do. Um, and I looked at it and I thought, I was top of my cash league, but I was pretty safe there. I had one person who could catch me. So I thought, I'm going to go for the top spot overall. And what I'll do is I will pick four players from one team, four players from another, and then just two and one just to play it safe and from the other two. And I decided Lancashire will beat Yorkshire. There isn't much logic behind it other than I think I could afford the Lancashire players that I wanted. I got Jennings in because I thought... Good pick. He's an, yeah, he's an opener and he's cheap. And he's in good form. Really good yeah, form. Exactly. He's had a great tournament. A really good tournament. century as well. Yeah, so I thought, Absolutely. yeah, that's a no-brainer. Um, so that sort of swayed me. And then why did I... I'm not sure why I went for Hampshire. I think because I thought that everyone's going to probably have Rousseau captain. And I thought, this is my chance to find some differential. In the end, I had him in my team and I was hoping he got out straight away because that's just the way fantasy works sometimes. That's how um, it goes. <laughs> it is. But yeah, so like the semifinals did go well for me. And going into the final, there was a slim, slim chance that I could catch the guy up top. I had to make about 400 points up, I think. Um, yeah, it was, it, it was better than the start of the day. And I did have two extra players than him. And my captain, he captained Russo, and my captain Salt. So I was like, it only takes Salt scoring a 60-70 for 20 balls, and I'm in for a chance. But it didn't go to plan. Um, but I really wasn't fussed. It was such a great tournament. And, I mean, the guys at the cricket draft do such a great job. It's just heightened everything for me and a lot of the guys that I talk to on Twitter. Um, it brings a different dynamic, and I find myself, like, I'm watching the game and especially on finals day when we've only got a certain amount of players to pick from. It's like, well, I've got this guy bowling, but he's bowling to my captain. So like, and I'm trying to work out the, the, the damage limitations throughout the whole thing. I, I love that. The nuances, especially yeah. when you have players against players. And that was what's so interesting about the finals day round. Obviously, you know, with the tournament shrinking, with teams being knocked out and stuff, you had less players to pick with. And there was probably more chance of a you know, having similar players to your kind of rivals. And B, that's when captaincy, and I love your salt pick, captaincy becomes a real differential unto itself if you're going to stray away from the big hitters. Both Zach and I, if I'm correct, Zach, uh, captained uh, Rousseau. Um, and my my mistake was I had one really, really good week pool. I did calculate it. I, but I think it was the week before the quarters, if I'm the final just big group game week. And had I captained Rousseau over Smead, I changed it back and forth. I went with Smead. If I had captained Rousseau, I would have finished top out of everyone for that one week. Uh, alas, it was when he scored an absolute stack of runs. I mean, there's all those things, but it's just, but I can, couldn't agree more. I think the, the people at the draft did a fantastic job. The interface is fantastic. It's really smooth. They do some things better than uh, fantasy football, which is something a lot of us kind of go from fantasy football into the cricket stuff or vice versa. And I think the mechanics of the game worked wonderfully. It updated quickly. It was easy to make transfers. Once I got the hang of it, 
it took me a little while to figure out the squad. Did I want depth? Did I want that strong 11? And I realized I'll just go for the 11. And if someone doesn't play, they don't play. Um, but yeah, it was tough. So yeah, and it's so interesting to hear the players that you that you kind of went for. And obviously Salt was a good pick. Um, mine was all right. I bought in, I kind of hedged my bets, which I think I went down a little bit, sadly, in the rankings after finals day, which was a bit of a disappointment because I, I kind of was neither here nor there. I had a lot of Somerset boys from the group stage. So I had people like, you know, Sid, Smead, Banton. I think Zach and I had quite a few of those together. I think Zach, you brought in uh, Brooks as a bit of a differential, which could have paid off, but sadly didn't. But then I thought Yorkshire might just do it. So I brought in Harry Brook because he's been so destructive recently. And I, 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 a lot of people didn't have him. I was really excited for him to go off. He didn't. So that was a big disappointment. Um, I brought back Sh- Shadab Khan, who kind of disgraced my team for the initial first few weeks. He was so poor in the tournament, but he did all right with the bat. So I felt OK. But it was, I think, my best pick who I brought in as a transfer. Same to you. Uh, both Zach and I had a lot of kind of surgery to do after a lot of our players were knocked out. Matthew Parkinson really came up trumps for me. He was just he really helped. I think without a lot of his um, a lot of his wickets, I would have been struggling. Zach, how was it looking for you on, uh, on on finals day? Who did you really need to, apart from maybe the classic Rousseau, who, who else were you really kind of hoping came through for you to boost you up that rank? Well, like you said, I, I went I went kind of I went hard on Somerset. I picked five players because I was like, if if I'm if some if you know, I was like, to be fair, if, if Somerset aren't in the final. I don't really care anyway. It's fine. Like I'm not, you know, I've not done that well. It's all right. So I went five Somerset, three Lanks because I thought Lanks would beat him, and then I went two, two, two Yorkshire, one Hampshire, and I went like you said, Glenn. I went for Brooks because Somerset were missing Davy and Craig Overton. So I was like, if Somerset are going to do well, Brooks has got to do well. So Absolutely. by the same logic of I only care if Somerset do well. I've got a back Brooks because he's gonna he's gonna be bowling in the power play and then the same thing for um the the same thing with with Peter Siddle as well and then I backed Vince just because he's Vince and then yeah the Lanks boys didn't really come off for me the ones they had Gleason was okay De- Tim Day was pretty disappointing and then Croft again okay no one really came off for me in the end to be fair and obviously I captained Russo as well which when he got 23 from 20 it wasn't wasn't great. Nah, not much to write about home about there. And yeah, as I said, you know, Parkinson for me, I probably should have bought in Salt. But again, it's not as if he, you know, scored 100 or something. It was just, it was tough to find those consistent players across the two games, I think. Um, but looking, I guess, taking a step back and looking at the season a little bit bro- more broadly, like Paul, as you mentioned, it, it was the most I've ever focused on a Blast tournament. Like usually I'll be watching every Somerset game I can, depending on streams and Sky and whatever. And I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll keep track of what's going on in the Northern Division and stuff just because I'm interested. But never before in my life have I looked at every single scorecard of every game for every week like it just gives you it really enriches your experience I think of, of the entire of the entire tournament because you're so focused on the on the players and the individual performances um obviously it's not just this finals day you have done well across the entire season you've done exceptionally well to put yourself in contention to even be in the top you know 10 top 100 to be in contention of winning it on the last day and to actually increase your places is remarkable just give us give listeners you know just towards the end of the segment i guess just give listeners maybe a few tips what worked well for you you know some of those calls that really came off i.e russo from week one which i recommended on this pod but i didn't do which was frustrating um or maybe some other players and just you know looking forward to maybe you know we're going to talk about your 100 uh, league in just a second but other tournaments what worked for you and what didn't so I think there's sort of three rules to fantasy sport in general, um, but I think it's especially uh, important in cricket, and that is knowing the scoring system is number one. Before you even look at your team, you need to look at what you're getting points for. Um, with football, it's sort of self-explanatory. You, you score goals, you get points, you get clean sheet, you get points. But with cricket, there's so many nuances to it. So the first thing you notice when you look at scoring for white ball cricket and limited overs cricket in the, in the cricket draft is it's batting heavy. It, it's you can score so many points based on your strike rate that it's almost an unfair advantage. Um, it's it's obviously not unfair because we're all playing in the same boat, but compared to bowlers, it's it's crazy. And therefore, you've got to make sure you have the right type of scorer in your team. You need people who score quick runs. You need people who score sixes. You need people who are going to get the opportunity from the start. So when I looked at it, I built my team around launchy i'm gonna give a shout out to a guy on twitter called uh skeptical cricketer 
Um, he uses the word launchy and it's sort of become a bit of a language for us now. Um, opening the batting, scoring quick runs in the power play. Because if you look, even just go back to finals day, Phil Salt scored, I think it was, well, he scored 30-odd from 15, like you say. And he much. was he was pretty much the top scorer in that game because of how quickly he scored them. You look at Matt Parkinson, who had a phenomenal finals day all together. In the first game, he was probably equally, if not more important than Saul because of his overs and his economy rate, but he gets nowhere near the score. So from the start, you need to look at that. Um, the second one is looking at the fixtures throughout the season. You sort of need to be organised and... I actually just rely on other people to be organised for me and steal their spreadsheets. But um, you have to look at who's got double game weeks and who's got... There was one week, I think it was week eight, where there was three teams on a triple game week. And I had basically planned my whole season to have 11 people from them, three teams available for them. And that's that was one of the weeks where I jumped up loads of places. And it wasn't because my players played well. It was because I had three times the amount of games as some people. Um, so that's probably the easiest way to make sure that you're going to be up the top of percentiles is just by making sure you pick the players who are playing the most, um, having a bit of a plan throughout the season. Obviously, you can look at who's got good fixtures, uh, who's playing teams, easier teams, but it, first and foremost, make sure you've got the most amount of games you can. And then the third one is be lucky. It's just luck. Like It's fun. You can be into it as as much as you want, but you can get it wrong based on nothing whatsoever. So ride the luck when you get it pick your captains when they're going to play well and yeah it's just it's just fun really absolutely i couldn't agree more and i want to shout out someone i think it's fpl um ticker yeah. who put out a really nice uh color-coded graph yeah. which really helped with the triples especially i mean the visual aids are so effective um and yeah there's a bit of luck there but i didn't do step one i mean zach was helping me with it zach really encouraged me to get so involved so thank you for that mate but um i hadn't i just was like oh well i know my cricket pretty well i'll stick in some players that will do relatively well i had no idea about the strike rate points you know all of these things that really really affect you know economy affecting how many points you're getting um all of these things being a factor and honestly shout out the draft um uh, organizers for making it such a complex and rich game i mean that's that's hard work to, to factor all these things in that is really difficult and as you said with football it's a little bit more like all right gold assist clean sheet job done move on don't want to get sent off whereas this there's so many more nuances in there um zach just as we you know as, as we're wrapping up we could talk all day about this but we you know we we, we do have a do have, I guess, a, a slight deadline here, but um, anything that you've kind of learned, you know, playing this or kind of like bouncing off what Paul said, how, what would you maybe do differently, Zach, when we start next season or when we start, you know, the 100 game pretty soon as well? How would you approach it differently? So my, my mistake early on was I looked at people's stats across the last three years and I picked kind of batters who, who strike to over 150 because that was where you, or the 140 because that was where you got you got extra points if someone's what striker was over 140 and obviously people who got more runs at that rate and then i looked at bowlers who had good economy but my mistake was looking over three years because some of those players didn't have good they weren't very good last year and they weren't very good this year but they'd been really good in 2019 and 2020 so they were really high up on the stats bell drummond is, is, is a perfect example of that he was pretty poor for he was really poor for me to be honest and then, awful tournament yeah awful tournament so he let me down early on yeah and i didn't i kind of was was too keen to not pick the people who were involved in the netherlands squad early on and obviously they didn't even end up they only ended up missing like two game weeks and i just didn't have any of them for the first like three game weeks or something which was a mistake so next time i would i'd consider both those things a bit differently yeah, it was it was sad to see Paul. Yeah, no, Zach had this wonderful strategy where he's like, listen, that there's players who won't be available in these coming weeks. I'm going to block them out and bring them in. And I was like, yeah, that does sound good, but they might get so many points in the lead up to that that might kind of you know uh, kind of ruin that kind of model, I guess. And, and that's kind of how it turned out, especially how how briefly they were away from the team. It was only it was a short series, right? So um, yeah, but so much to learn. Such a fantastic game. And um, before we do wrap up, um, Paul, I'm pretty sure you were. Uh, Obviously, I'm running, uh, you know, cash league for the hundred for the men's and women's league, which uh, Zach and I are really excited to get involved in. For people listening who have enjoyed this segment, who want to get involved, how, how would they do that? Just message you on Twitter? Uh, yeah, no, just hit me up on Twitter. Um, it's a pretty friendly bunch. We're not the most competitive. We're, we're more just about 
enjoying the game. The group chat is very active. You you guys will see it in the hundred. Um, we are willing to share our tips and advice. And that's probably why I did do so well last time is because I was just sat there cherry picking everyone else's hard work. Um, yeah, that sounds good. I'll take that. But uh, yeah, just hit me off if you fancy it. It's um, I'm going to be doing some free leagues as well. I just want basically as many people to get involved in it because I know that once they take that first step and do the first tournament, they'll be playing for the next couple of years. Um, I just built my 100 first, first draft for the next season. And I'm just going to give you the first bit of tip is don't spend any money on bowlers this year. Don't but just get the cheapest players you can um, and get your, your your opening batsman because there's even less balls to play with. So if you're batting five or six, you might not even get a bat. That's my, my little send off. That is that is a great tip. And I saw Zach's eyes kind of twitching there. He's been texting me his kind of impact model we're working on. Uh, so I'm really excited to dive into that. But yeah, you know, highest scorer, um, you know, batters across the men's and women's league. We're buzzing that that, that we're going to get involved in both. Um, and yeah, you know, I don't love the 100 as a concept, but if there's fantasy to play, I will be there. So I, I can't wait for that. Um, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you want to um, follow Paul or obviously get in touch to DM him about joining the league, he's at slog sweeping on twitter really want uh really wonderful to talk to you congratulations again on such a superb finish you just can't you can't you can't do much better you can only do one one more place better so sorry it didn't you couldn't make up that gap but that is a fantastic campaign and we can't wait to join your league um and thank you so much for joining us and uh thank you for everyone to listening and as usual we'll be back uh next week probably around the same time it's summer so our schedule is a little bit all over the place but you'll hear us at some point next week um so until then thank Thank you so much. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.